We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. There is an incredible stream of stories related to the law coming out of Washington these days. They involve the president, his family, various investigations, the Supreme Court, and the highly controversial appointment of an acting attorney general. Our legal roundtable panel will get into all of it. With me in studio are attorneys Bill Freivogel, journalism professor at SIU in Carbondale. Mark Smith is associate vice chancellor and dean for career services at Washington University. And Susan Appleton is professor of law at WashU. Thank you all for being with us. Nice to see you again, Susan. Great to have you back with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, there's so much to talk about uh, today. It seems uh, so much going on in Washington. Bill, let me start with you with the... uh, the flap between the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, John Roberts, and our president. Uh, apparently, Chief Justice Roberts mm-hmm. has had enough of the president being critical of judges, as he was after a judge ruled against him on the asylum issue. Right. This is really an unprecedented exchange, it seems to it me. Is, it's, it was very surprising. I mean, it, it, I think it was uh, an unprecedented uh, statement for the Chief Justice to issue. As you, as you say, it followed the president being angry about a uh, lower court decision uh, out in California that had put on hold his uh, rules shutting down asylum. And um, uh, the Trump had uh, tweeted that it was an Obama judge. And uh, the chief justice's statement released uh, to the Associated Press was we don't have Obama judges or Trump judges or Reagan ju- judges or our uh, Bush judges. Um, we should be thankful. This was the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> we should be thankful for an independent judiciary. Um, I think that Trump had some replies about how all these cases get filed in the Ninth Circuit, which is the appeal, appeals federal appeals court circuit that includes most of the West Coast, coast including you know California, and uh, that they get reversed more than anybody else does. And you know that they that they're an example of um, you know biased judges. Um, I think I think it is 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 probably true that they get reversed more than other circuits, but they also get affirmed more than other circuits because more of their cases go to the Supreme Court. But but the judge in this case wasn't a member of the Ninth Circuit, was he? he well, he he's a federal district judge in within the Ninth Circuit. Right. So yeah, right, he was not. And a, a judge on the uh, appellate bench. He was a lower, a lower court judge. Where does this go from here, sir? Well, I'm not sure where it goes from here because I, I can't imagine that there will be a continuing conversation um, through the press between the president and the chief justice. On the other hand, I do think this shows an appreciation by the chief justice of the extraordinary power he has right now um, as the new center Justice of the court, with um, Justice Kennedy's departure and Justice Kavanaugh's um, joining the court, um, all bets are that Roberts represents the new center, and I think he's trying to um, 
to, to show some leadership in that area. Um, he said um, at an earlier time that um, great justices are willing to put the good of the court above their own ideological agendas, and I think he's um, reinforcing that. Do you think, Mark, that this is likely to have any impact, this uh, friction between the president and the chief justice as as the court uh, term continues? Well, I mean, I, I, first of all, I agree with what Susan said. I think that's exactly right, that Roberts, he he wants the court to be respected. He wants to maintain its legitimacy, and, and he'll he's going to be the new senator. And, and I think that will result in probably, even when sometimes he could maybe make a big change, maybe being a little more conservative if he can bring more justices in. So trying not to have a lot of 5-4 decisions, but to have, you know, 8-1 decisions. Um, in terms of, I mean, what do I know that what Roberts <laughs> thinks? But I mean, if I were him, I would think, well, uh, you know, I tried to, you know, nicely tell him, hey, this is not good for the country. That didn't work. Maybe I won't do that again. Uh, well, there are a lot of cases involving the president will be coming before the court in the foreseeable future. You just have to wonder if this, again, this friction might, uh, might impact the way the justices think. I mean, to a certain extent, what Roberts is saying is, is uh, a little bit of a fiction. I mean, is, there certainly are important cases that are decided five to four with uh, Republican-appointed justices on one side and the Democratic appointed mm-hmm. justices on the other. Um, and, and you know, you, you will have scholars like uh, Lee Epstein at Washington University who demonstrate pretty convincingly that uh, judges and justices often vote according to their political predilections. Uh, on, on some issues. But, but, on, the other, but on the other hand, it, 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 even if it is, uh, you know, to a certain extent, a f- something of, a, of a, a fiction, it's a very useful Fiction and in reality, it sometimes actually plays out, uh, uh, you know, truthfully. Like th- take 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 the the Acosta press pass uh, decision last week. That was a Trump uh, a j- appointed judge uh, with a very Republican background, and he ruled uh, basically for CNN and and Acosta. If you th- go back to the original travel ban, the decision out of the Ninth Circuit that threw out Trump's original. Uh, version of the travel ban uh, that was had been a Republican appointed uh, judge. So I, I, I do think that that just, you know the members of the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary believe that they should try to not be making their decisions based on political. I think there's a connection to another story you suggested we might discuss, which is the fact that the Solicitor General has asked that the transgender military ban challenge Mm -hmm. go directly from a district court to the U.S. Supreme Court in bypassing a court of appeals. And although that story came out a couple days after the story about um, Chief Justice Roberts' response, I think it signals that the administration believes it's got its team on the Supreme Court and wants to get a fast resolution there. And so I think that there's a connection between these two. And I think what Chief Justice Roberts is saying is um, you might have, um, Republicans might have appointed a majority of members of the U.S. Supreme Court, but don't necessarily assume that we'll decide cases certain ways because of that. Well, this is, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, I think the divisions among the judges are less about Democrat, Republican, and more about conservative, liberal in terms of how do we view the government overall? Do we view, and I think the conservative judges say this is a, a, we should have a limited government, a smaller government, 
that that's how we, we, we should view the Constitution the way it was interpreted 200-plus years ago. And I think liberals say, no, it's, it, you got to – things change. You have to be able to read that into the Constitution as well. I think those changes and, – and I do think even with the, the difference between the liberal and conservative, sometimes those, those – you see divisions based on that. But a lot of times you don't. In most cases, you don't see those kinds of decisions that they're just right. reading the law and interpreting it. So what, what we pay all the attention to is when, when there are these divisions. Well, and you used to hear from the conservatives, uh, more conservative judges and justices, criticisms of judicial activism, right. but you can find many cases of judicial activism on the right side of the political spectrum um, these days. I want to get back to the transgender issue, mm-hmm. and we'll do that a little bit later. But first, while we're talking about this uh, this relationship between the president and the courts and and partisanship and what have you, Justice Sotomayor uh, has recently come out with a statement in which she's been asking uh, the justices to pull together uh, and to fight to avoid political partisanship on the bench. Uh, clearly, there is a lot of concern within the court itself about uh, about this, certainly the image part of it. Well, well the court loses legitimacy in, in the eyes of the American people when it appears to just be um, making political decisions and not be not be engaging in the, some kind of objective uh, legal analysis. And there's nobody who cares more about uh, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court than Chief Justice Roberts because mm-hmm. he's been Chief Justice already for more than a decade and he's a young man. <laughs> you, you know, he, he wants this institution that is the Roberts Court to be perceived as one that had legitimacy and wasn't a political actor. And all the justices, you know, Sotomayor being, uh, you know, and the others are all believe in in the importance of maintaining that legitimacy and not just being a, a, a political decider. But isn't that unusual in and of itself to have one of the justices come out and appeal to her fellow justices uh, to, uh, to, to avoid this kind of partisanship? Publicly? (laughs) If she was doing exactly that, um, or maybe she was presenting the case for that to the public. I thought it wasn't particularly surprising um, for a couple reasons. First of all, as you know from your own interview of Justice Sotomayor, she's got a very open and (laughs) welcoming and embracing manner. And so this seemed quite in character with um, the way she presents herself. And then I think she shares um, what Bill mentioned, namely the institutional interest um, in in making sure that the Supreme Court remains above the political fray. Um, that's why I thought, for, um, for example, when Justice Gorsuch made his speech about a year ago at the Federalist Society, and some news organizations called it a victory lap, that it just had a bad um, feel to it because it did seem to suggest the this tribalism and rivalry between well, the that two. That is a conservative organization that yes. has been yeah. instrumental recently in uh, in helping the president select uh, his justices. Yes. And I, I thought what Sotomayor was saying would have not approved of that. The legitimacy of the courts are just are so important because you know you learn in high school civics that you know the president has the army. <laughs> the the Congress has the money and the court just has those robes and that doesn't that's not real pol- power like the other branches. So without the legitimacy, then we get a constitutional crisis where they say do something and people mm-hmm. don't, and then and then we're in a very bad state. So it's important to keep that legitimacy. 
She also, in a separate statement, uh, officially welcomed uh, Justice Kavanaugh to the yeah. bench following the, you know, that, yeah. uh, that uh, hearing that we all remember so much. She's kind of like the, the, the mother of the Supreme Court <laughs> right now, <laughs> Big Mama uh, Sotomayor. And talking uh, about family, the, the, your work yeah. family. And I, I didn't know that they had lunch every day. I don't, I don't know how I've missed that. Um, <laughs> but what a great idea. I mean, it's, it's – and th- that you have lunch and you don't talk about work and you build these relationships. And, I mean, that goes – that helps me understand how Ginsburg and um, – Scalia. Yeah, Scalia became such good friends. Yeah, that surprises a lot of people. Anything more you want to say about this particular issue? Because I have to take a break. Otherwise, we'll dispense with that and move on to other things, which we will do in just about a moment. This is Legal Roundtable Day, and this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Back to our conversation with Susan Appleton of Washington University, Mark Smith of the same institution, and Bill Freivogel, professor of journalism at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Okay, here's one that a lot of people, uh, I think, found fairly disquieting, and that is the, uh, the revelation, and I guess it's not been totally confirmed, but uh, it seems very credible, that uh, President Trump wanted the Justice Department to prosecute his political rivals. Hillary Clinton and James Comey. Bill, I'll come back to you on that one. Uh, do you find that as disquieting as many people did? Yeah, I think that's disquieting. And, and um, uh, it, it appears as though it was his legal counsel who sort of saved him from, from taking that step and, said, you know, advised him, uh, McGahn, but advised him not to, do, you know, not to do it, that uh, – uh, you know that while he, that while he could ask for an investigation by the Justice Department, that, that you know that might uh, boomerang in terms of uh, an, an impeachment issue down the road. And so, yeah, I don't. I think you know it's it's a it's a characteristic of a, a non-democratic state where uh, people who are the head of state are investigating their uh, political rivals and the people they just defeated in the last election. It's Uh, it's also, I think, a a lot of people – I was talking to somebody who said, well, I don't get why this is a big deal. He's the president. He won. He should be able to tell – his lawyers what to do, and they're they're not his lawyers. They're the United States' lawyers, mm-hmm. and I think lawyers are very comfortable with this notion that, you know, that you have a general counsel for a big corporation. They're not the CEO's lawyer. They're the lawyer lawyer mm-hmm. for the corporation. CEO might have their own lawyer. President has the office of the president has a lawyer, and then Mr. Trump might have a private lawyer. You know, but we have we spend a lot of time as lawyers talking about who is our client in this one, and the client of the Department of Justice is not Donald Trump, nor is it the president. 
it's disturbing. Go ahead, Susan. No, I, I agree with Mark that I think it shows the president's misunderstanding of his role and the role of the Department of Justice. Um, but this isn't new. We've seen it before. I think it's connected to actually the comments we talked about a few moments ago about Obama judges versus yeah. Trump mm-hmm. judges, um, suggesting that um, that that the judges report to him or do his 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 bidding i think it's related to his appointment of the acting um attorney general uh, matthew whitaker which i think we'll talk about um Next, probably yes. later um so but and and trump has been quite <clears throat> candid about it um the president has um explicitly expressed his frustrations that he can't get the justice department to do what he thinks they ought to do but what you're more diplomatic than I am. What's really, really <laughs> disturbing is the fact that this guy, you know, doesn't know this. I mean, he's coming into this job without realizing that uh, you know there are certain restrictions on what he can and cannot do. Well, am I diplomatic or am I just trying to figure out what is going on here? And I think what's going on here, um, and Mark referred to this when you mentioned people don't understand it. Yeah. Certain people elected him and wanted him to do things differently. And he feels emboldened by that. I Don't think. you think also, I mean, I mean, he was CEO of a big corporation where he had all these people telling him, great idea, boss, great idea, boss, great idea, boss. And he started thinking all his ideas were great. And he could, and I'm sure the lines were very blurred in, in his business world. And it's just, you know, th- to him, this is no different than before. I'm in charge. I get to do what I want. I'm and, the I'm the greatest. Yeah, I'm the greatest. But but just that it's I'm in charge, and that's not how this system works. Yeah. It's fundamentally different. And I think it could have implications as um, in the Mueller investigation and um, in the investigations that various committees in the House will have um, now that the Democrats have a majority. You got to love all these people though who are saying to him, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> I'm going to write you a memo that explains it all. And, I mean, that's what a lawyerly thing to do, it, it, just to write – I'm sure it was like a 10-page memo mm-hmm. explaining how all this stuff works and but some I have doubts whether it was read. Yes, that was going to say some <laughs> of the news stories said that it's not clear whether he read it. I mean, it'll be very interesting when the final history of this is all written uh, on the White House counsel McGahn's – uh, former White House counsel's role in this, because it seems to me he has uh, he has saved Trump yeah. on, on a number of occasions, um, you know, in connection with this, uh, in connection with firing, uh, trying to fire Sessions earlier on, and um, you know, and he and meanwhile he's been sort of the leader in getting all these uh, conservative mm-hmm. judges confirmed and through the Senate, including the two new. Uh, members of the U.S. Supreme Court. So, I mean, he's he's been a little bit of a most valuable player. He's also talked to Mueller a lot. I mean, he's had, mm-hmm. had hours and hours of interviews with Mueller. So it'll be interesting if there is a, you know, uh, when there is a report or a final accounting, what McGahn's um, account of all of this is. Yeah. Mark, you said earlier that uh, – that, uh, the president should understand that the lawyers in the Justice Department don't work for him. They work for the rest of us. Well, the question now is, does he think that uh, Matthew Whitaker, his acting attorney general, is working for him? Yeah. I, I mean, I think he thought that before. I think he thought that about Sessions. I think the more interesting question is, what does Whitaker think? Who does he think he's working for? I'm, I'm a little more worried about that because Sessions seemed to get it, that he's the United States lawyer. I, I'm, I'm less confident that 
Whitaker's going to get it. I mean, it would seem like Whitaker should definitely recuse himself from the uh, the Mueller and overseeing the Mueller investigation because of all the comments that he made uh, prior to going to the Justice Department, um, uh, which seemed to you know have been very much uh, you know taking one side of that that the Mueller investigation really wasn't. Um, it wasn't proper. Uh, so I think he should take the ad- advice that he will presumably get to recuse himself, but it will be his decision whether to take it or not. And, of course, if he if he takes it, that'll, he'll be doing exactly the thing that made Trump so mad at Sessions, <laughs> that Sessions yeah. took that advice. And so don't you have to think that <laughs> the president had a conversation with Whitaker before he named him to find out whether he would recuse himself? He said well, he didn't know him. You didn't yeah, know right, right. Yeah. yeah, you would think that they did have that conversation, and you would think that somebody will will try to get that. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I guess Whitaker, could, uh, you know, they could claim that that was yes. some sort of uh, privilege, privilege, executive sure. privilege. <laughs> well, there are some suggestions that people on Capitol Hill would like to have this resolved with an, with a, a, another appointment. But Whitaker's got some other baggage with him. He's accused of violating the Hatch Act by accepting campaign money while he was a, a, a federal employee. Uh, there are some ethical issues with regard to a company that he was involved in. So, you yeah, know, He's he, also kind of viewed as a little bit of a legal lightweight. I mean that you – not the type of person you would expect to be – brought into the head of the Department of Justice. And then there's this legal question as to whether or not can he serve as Attorney right. General if he – because he has not uh, he has not been confirmed by the United States Senate. I mean he was at some point in the past uh, when he was a U.S. attorney in, in Iowa. But um, he has not been uh, – you know, he, his chief of staff to Sessions is not a position that was mm-hmm. – Confirmed by the by the U.S. Senate, so can he serve as an acting attorney general or not? Is there some limit? I've read this and I meant to research and, and forgot to. Is there some limit on the amount of time he can serve as acting attorney general? I thought I saw like two hundred days, two hundred and ten days. Uh huh. That's sort uh, of uh, well. See, there so there are two different arguments. Um, the argument in favor of his serving cites the Federal Vacancies Reform Reform. Act, where Congress um, authorized the president to appoint someone for 210 days in a federal government role. But there there are some strict limitations on that. Um, But it seems that the president wants him to serve beyond 210 days, I I imagine. Um, The argument against the constitutionality of his appointment um, is the argument that Bill recited yeah. and um, deems him a principal officer, and therefore um, he would require. There Senate are some. Approval. There Senate. are some different readings on that, though. Mm-hmm. Some some in Washington say that that is really and not an and, issue. and people on um, all political sides seem to have weighed in. Um, there was a, a well-publicized editorial where Neil Cotill, the former acting solicitor general under Obama, um, joined with George Conway, um, spouse of Kellyanne Conway in the, um, on the president's staff, um, to say that the appointment was unconstitutional. There's this argument that because the, um, the law says that the assistant attorney general may act for the attorney general, that that kind of overrides the Vacancy Act because it it says here's the succession. But, you know, lawyers get very worked up about the difference between may and shall. Shall Mm -hmm. means you have to. May means you can, but you don't have to. And so – that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. But but in any event, there are at least two suits right. that have been filed 
challenging the constitutionality mm-hmm. of Whitaker's service in this position. Yeah. We have an email from one of our listeners in Crestwood. You guys may or may not want to uh, respond to her on this. She says, there are three aspects to the definition of autocrat. One, big flashy shows of power, military parades, <laughs> etc. Uh, two, a scapegoat to fear. She cites uh, religious minorities and the immigrants. And three, a uh, contempt for any opposing structure, such as the press or the courts. How do your guests rate <laughs> President Trump on this scale? <laughs> well, guilty in all three criteria. Yeah. Hopefully, we've got a uh, hopefully have a system of government with enough, enough checks and balances that uh, we will get through this, yeah. and and a um, viable press <laughs> as right. well. Yeah, well, that's uh, something he's obviously working on. Um, okay, we talked about uh, Matt Whitaker. How about our own new-to-be Attorney General? What do we know about Eric Schmidt? Uh, anybody have any thoughts about what he brings to the uh, job? Well, he held a statewide office before, which um, the governor cited in, in um, appointing him. I think he's a conservative, but I think he commands respect from the other side of the aisle. He's um, He's been out there on some various causes and issues that I think appeal to less conservative um, persons in the state, including his support for children who have special needs, especially autism, how he responded to some of the practices that were revealed in the light of Michael Brown's death in Ferguson, what um, the the courts were doing. Um, I think he's um, – so I think he, he earns earns some respect. And I, as, as someone who's not on his side of the aisle, I feel optimistic. He also worked in Josh Hawley's campaign, the Manny's Replacing Senate campaign, which would, I guess, uh, attest to his conservative bona fides, right? Yes. And, and so I do have some big questions. What, he, what is he going to do in the lawsuit in which Hawley had the state join with other states right. that were challenging the constitutionality of Obamacare now that um, the individual mandate has been unraveled. Um, will he do more to investigate former Governor Greitens and his nonprofit? Mm-hmm. So I do have some questions that I'm waiting to see answered. Well, one of the things I've read about uh, this is the fact that he is going to an office that has been in some disarray was the way that it was worded. And I wonder <laughs> what exactly that means. Anything specific come to mind? See, I, I read that article too where they were talking about all the uh, people leaving. I mean, I, I think it's natural when you get a change of a Attorney General and particularly a change of party. And when they did some comparisons of previous years, yeah, it's a little bit higher, but it didn't seem extraordinarily so. Uh, I don't know Schmidt at all. I've never met him. He's, you know, he went to St. Louis Law School and worked at a couple of big firms in town. Um, One of the things I found interesting when reading about his biography is he has a son who has special needs, uh, health issues. And so one wonders, like you said, Susan, uh, what will he do with Missouri's involvement with this case uh, in Texas questioning the o- Obamacare? And and this goes back to Roberts, too. You know, remember we had that – we talked about it on the show a couple of times, the big case that challenged Obamacare saying it was it was too broad for the Commerce Clause, which is where the federal government gets most of its power from. And, and four judges were willing to say – um, strike it down based on Commerce Clause. But Robert said, no, it's too far because of the taxing problem. Uh, the taxing issue saves it here. And and now, we, you know, we had the tax changes where they got rid of the penalty for Obamacare. So now they're coming in saying, well, there's no tax penalty. That's what you said it was for. Let's do away with it. And this would mean 
no insurance for pre-existing conditions unless mm-hmm. something else comes up. And so it'll be interesting to see. He, he, Schmidt seems like he's been pretty reasonable. And, and I wouldn't read too much into the Hawley stuff because he's the, you know, he's the head of the party, the candidate. Everyone mm-hmm. had to get behind him. I mean, he's, he sounds like he was a, a strong supporter, but... What campaign for everyone? Us. Every Democrat was working for Claire. So, mm. you know, I agree, I agree uh, with uh, with Susan that the the way in which Schmidt sort of responded in the wake of the of the Michael Brown uh, shooting in Ferguson was uh, very much to his credit. Uh, I mean, when most of the Missouri legislature was doing right. not be able to figure out anything to do. He was able to figure out something to do, which was Senate Bill Five, I think it was called, you know, which put a put a cap on how much um, how much money municipalities could raise through writing lots of traffic tickets, you know, which was seen as as, as one of the reforms that was uh, needed in the wake of, of Ferguson. Uh, so I think he deserves a lot of credit for putting that legislation together and pulling together. A uh, coalition of um, across the aisle of legislators to support it, and um, and you know really it's about the only the only thing that got passed that that first legislative session mm-hmm. after. Yeah. And I think we have to face the fact of just how red Missouri has become. So mm-hmm. I think that it, against that background, someone like Eric Schmidt for Attorney General um, makes me somewhat more optimistic than I might be otherwise. All right. But well, what, what about our new governor? He goes from nobody's ever heard of him. He, he gets in as <laughs> lieutenant governor now. Th- three of the statewide offices. I mean, he's got his own and two. Other, I mean, well, talk gonna, about some power. He's going to have to appoint a treasurer now. Yeah, too, right, right, so, right. Yeah, there you go. Okay, a time is a tempest is fugitive, as they say. I want to talk for a second about uh, Ivanka Trump and her email situation. Looks like uh, she's going to be investigated uh, because of these uh, emails she was using on government uh, on government equipment. Uh, the House is going to take a look at that. Um, is it fair to equate what she did and how she used email with the the way Hillary Clinton used email? Thoughts? Well, Trump is trying. Um President Trump is trying to distinguish it, saying, well, she didn't have her own personal server. That's the difference, um, and that it was much less. But it seems like at its core, it's the same kind of issue. Um, and so, you know, I think the Democrats are going to investigate because they can. Yeah. I always thought that the Hillary email issue was, for lack of a better term, a trumped-up problem. But, <laughs> but um, you know, um, I realize others took it much more seriously. Um I don't know how much traction this is actually yeah. going to get. Wasn't it um, just a month ago we learned that the president himself was using a cell phone that was not secure exactly. and that Russia and China <laughs> were listening in? Mm-hmm. That issue has evaporated from the news. Now, maybe with the Democrats taking the House, we will see those those matters investigated together. I thought there was a bipartisan inquiry into email practices recently, but I don't know where it went. So I think we're so saturated with news and... Um, Distractions. Yeah. Distractions. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not in a good position to know how this will play out. Well, and Representative Cummings has said he doesn't intend to turn it into the spectacle, yeah. but he might just be saying that. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I can't see a couple of months or maybe even a couple of weeks or maybe even a few days down the road this having a whole lot of traction. I mean, she apparently sent a bunch of emails on, on her private email 
uh, you know, right after going moving into the into Washington and into the White House, and you know, maybe she shouldn't have done that. But I, I, I think that, and I do, and I do think the House will be very much looking at at uh, controversies that involve the president's family. But I mean, compare that, compare this sort of minor uh, infraction with Donald Trump uh, Jr. Jr. meeting with agents of the. Of, uh, of Vladimir Putin's uh, in Trump Tower right before the election and uh, trying to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. I mean, the, the comparison between the two is very stark. And in all fairness, <laughs> we have to point out that there was no classified information apparently right. involved mm-hmm. in any of those emails. Before I take the break, um, Susan, you had met the tr- mentioned the transgender uh, issue a little bit earlier. One of the questions I had there was, the uh, Trump administration asking the Supreme Court to allow it to leapfrog uh, federal appeals courts uh, in several cases concerning this issue. I mean, how unusual is that, just leapfrogging over another court uh, jurisdiction? It is unusual, and based on my reading, that can happen only upon a showing that the case is such of such imperative public importance as to justify deviation from the normal appellate practice and to require immediate determination in this court. I'm not sure that this case actually fits that bill, although the Solicitor General claims that it does. Um, The lower courts so far have um, found that there isn't any good reason for this ban, that it it doesn't present a threat to military readiness or cohesion. Um, The Solicitor General saying, no, the real issue is who has the authority to run the military. Um, I don't know that that's so time sensitive that it can't go through the normal appellate process. Um, so I see this as an effort by the Trump administration to get to a court that it believes will be more inclined to rule in its favor. I mean, the, the Solicitor General saying that the lethality of the U.S. military mm-hmm. is going to be uh, affected by waiting another year before we solve this seems absurd. Um, and, you know, the Supreme Court has good reasons to want things to go through the federal appeals courts first because it gets the view, gets different views of different uh, just judges around the country um, about the legality of a particular practice. So they have more – then they have uh, – it makes their decision more ed- – and more of an educated one. Let's take uh, another break. We'll come back. We have lots more to discuss and we'll do that momentarily. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Back to our legal roundtable panel discussion with me in studio, Bill Freivogel, Mark Smith, and Susan Appleton. We're talking legal issues. And Bill, I want to come back to you on this one. This is really a, you are the journalism professor, a longtime journalist here in St. Louis. I wanted to talk about the uh, the uh, the Acosta case, the press credentials being lifted by the CNN correspondent. What do you make of that whole thing? The whole the lifting of the credentials, <laughs> restoring them. Uh, changing the rules along the way, by the way, when uh, when he does come back in terms of kinds of questions that can be asked. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is sort of a – I mean, it, just, it was just a circus really uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, I th- and I think, you know, I, th- I think a lot of reporters actually think Augusta is a little bit of a, a showboat. Uh, that, ha- that having been said, um, 
I, I think that, uh, you know, President Trump w- reacted with anger. He reacted to Acosta's question um, um, uh, in a way, I think, also that ap- ap- appeals to his base of supporters. The, 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 the Trump judge, um, uh, I think his name is Timothy Kelly, who uh, issued uh, um, an, an opinion in the case, um, you know, said that there's no First Amendment right of a reporter to be able had to have entry to the White House, uh, you know, to uh, pursue a story. But once the once the White House has set rules for has opened up uh, the White House to press conferences, that it uh, then can't take away the hard press pass of a, a journalist who's been allowed access. Uh, without some sort of due process, you know, some sort of fair process. Um, and uh, the judge was very, you know, thought it was very questionable what the, the White House explanations had been, uh, you know, of laying hands on the intern who was trying to take the microphone from from him. Um, so, I mean, the unfortunate, so it's, I mean, it was a victory for uh, for the press, in that in that a, a judge up, upheld Acosta's, uh, you know, constitutional rights to ma- retain his press pass. The unfortunate downside of it is, it's resulted in, um, I guess, some stricter rules that the president can uh, or the White House can try to enforce of just one question, and then a follow-up question if the president. Uh, thinks that the follow-up question is appropriate, um, and you know the, the the bottom line is that the White House cannot enforce that kind of a rule in a way that targets a particular point of view or or you know viewpoint. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out down the road. Susan and Bill, there's an, Mark, there's another part of the story, and that is that the White House seemingly altered a video showing that <laughs> incident between Acosta and the young intern to make it look like it was something well, more they, they than what it was. Speed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they do it, or did they? Did some other broadcaster do it in the White House? Then. It may have been the latter, but the White House definitely used that yes. to, to, yeah. to back up their, uh, you know, their reason for removing the hard pass that he had basically mm-hmm. laid his hands on yeah. a, a female intern, sort of made it sound like some sort of assault. Yes. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to underscore um, a point that Bill made, namely that the decision by the judge was based on due process. It, it wasn't a broad yeah. First Amendment decision. Yeah. And I, I want to note that Bill referred to the judge as a Trump judge. So he'll be, <laughs> he'll be getting a call from Justice <laughs> Roberts right. any time now. A jump appointed. <laughs> Trump appointed judge. It looks like we're going to be getting a change in uh, sentencing and uh, prison laws. And that's going to be good news to a lot of people who've been calling for criminal justice reform for a long time. Uh, Trump has signed on to it. President Trump has signed on to it. It seems to have bipartisan support on Capitol Hill. Um, What is it going to mean? Mark, you're the uh, former police board member. Yeah, that that shows (laughs) – I don't know that much about prison. But this is, I think, a good thing. And it's nice to see Republicans and Democrats, one, agreeing on something, two, um, agreeing – on maybe we've gone too far with this whole law and order, be tough on criminals. So 
I don't think, you know, and what Trump is saying is we're not going to back off. We're just going to be, we're going to stay tough on the, we're going to focus our efforts on the people who really need it and back off on some of the the lesser um, crimes where we're putting people in jail, costing everyone a lot of money, wrecking people's lives, and it's really not helping things. It, it would include new funding for anti-recidivism programs, mm-hmm. expansion of early release credits, and the reduction of certain mandatory minimums. And, and certain, and trying to, re- to reduce further reduce some disparities where there are certain laws that seem to impact African Americans much more severely than than whites and then um, you know the the classic example is the difference between rock crack cocaine and and powdered cocaine sure. yeah. and how that was treated yeah the one thing i I had noticed because I was looking for it i so far i haven 't seen anything indicating that the reforms will address sex offender registration requirements no, and i 'm interested either. in that because the collateral consequences of that registration are so severe that it actually seems to be standing in the way of otherwise desirable rape reform laws that would move, for example, to an affirmative consent um, requirement. But because of the fear that these registration um, requirements are so draconian, um, people are afraid to move the law forward. Cause maybe, would, maybe we can have... Maybe we can have Betsy DeVos work on that for us. <laughs> she wants to change the rules on college yes. campuses. That I could mean, be another conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is interesting uh, you know, to see the sort of liberal conservative working across the aisle where you had Grassley being the big uh, supporter of this and Dick Durbin from across the river in, in Illinois uh, negotiating with him about it. The big, the, And then you had the, like the Koch Brothers mm-hmm. Foundation is very much for this criminal justice reform. One thing, though, I mean, I don't think it's a done deal. Uh, no, yeah, Mitch McConnell is saying, hey, I don't know if we got time to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cotton from Arkansas mm-hmm. is very much against it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's a very short window before we're into the next Congress. And in the next Congress, the Democrats would want more yeah. uh, as part of this deal. They go into their holiday recess and actually a matter of a, a week or two at the most, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, Trump is, seems to be trying to set up a, you know, close the government or not uh, situation over his border wall. You know, either I get funding for the border wall with all these asylum seekers assaulting defense uh, or we close down the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could could use up an awful lot of the time, the, the small amount of time that's left before the new Congress comes in. A couple of things here to do uh, that we can deal with quickly, I think. Uh, Amendment uh, 2 that was passed by voters in November, the medical marijuana amendment, um, it seems like some members of law enforcement or some law enforcement organizations are changing their strategies a little bit now, dealing with the marijuana possession. Uh, in, I guess it, uh, Jackson County prosecutors is going to stop prosecuting some marijuana possession cases. I don't know if that was an intended or unintended consequence of that particular amendment. Yeah, because the amendment only addresses medical, medical right. yeah, marijuana, exactly. and so this is broader. Um, I, I know in June of this year, St. Louis um, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner said her office wouldn't be prosecuting cases involving 100 grams of marijuana or less unless there were aggravating circumstances. So that was even before that. So maybe this is just part, part of, of a larger trend. Right. Okay. And, and I think Jackson County said if there's guns involved or large or kids. We're still going to bra- – and, and yeah. this is – and when you say law enforcement, I mean I think this is the prosecutor's offices. I don't think – Unlike the sentencing where the Fraternal Order of Police sure. had endorsed that, which I was kind of surprised by, I don't see them saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're for decriminalizing yeah. marijuana, which is 
You know, and and I I think there there's still federal drug crimes um, involving marijuana. Mm. So there's a state federal conflict here too. But when you go to states where it's legalized, like I I was out in Washington State, I mean, there are big ads in the paper (laughs) for the drugs, and I mean with specials Mm. on you know this. On edibles, and then it's getting pictures. I mean, it's sure. but it's still a federal crime. Then. It's still a federal crime, but it's it <laughs> sure, sure doesn't Jeff, look like it. Jeff Sessions made that clear. Yes. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. I want to take a quick call here. It backs us up a little bit, uh, but uh, Jeanette in Jefferson City wants to uh, address sentencing reform from Missouri. Uh, go ahead, Jeanette, but we're running short on time. <laughs> Hi, Don. I'm at Oxford from Empower, Missouri. Oh, great. Uh, we, we think that if, uh, if Texas can close eight prisons without hurting public safety, it's time that Missouri do this as well. And we have a panel at Washington University tomorrow night called Help Missouri Flip the Switch from Being Tough on Crime to Being Smart on Crime uh, with some diverse partners uh, like Americans for Prosperity and Empower Missouri and the Clark Fox Family Foundation all working together on this. Representative Shama Dogan will be there. And that's from 6.30 to 8 at Washington University, uh, Hillman Hall, Room 60. All right. That, thanks for the call. Very timely, <laughs> obviously. Thank you. Moving on. Now, I uh, just wanted to mention, and I don't know if this would require a lot of detail, but uh, there's been an indictment, not surprisingly, I guess, in that uh, duck boat tragedy near Branson uh, last July. The, uh, the captain of the duck boat, Scott McKee, has been indicted on 17 counts of misconduct, negligence, or inattention to duty resulting in those deaths. There was also, wasn't there a settlement on one of the civil yes. suits? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah I, one of the families. Yeah, so I think we have to separate the different kinds of um, mm-hmm. lawsuits we might see here. As, uh, as Mark mentioned, um, there are going to be state wrongful death actions. I think that's the kind of claim that might have um, been settled recently. But the indictment is um, a federal prosecution that seems to be um, alleging violations of admiralty or maritime law mm-hmm. um, because I think – um, negligence or inattention to duty by a ship's officer. So, um, and and that is um, a federal indictment. Yeah, the settlement was reached uh, just a couple of days ago with Ripley, the company that uh, that owns yeah. one, and and with the, one of the uh, families, uh, one, victims not all family. of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just just one. Yeah. And the Missouri Attorney General, I think, has an ongoing investigation. Yeah, yeah they did file, well. file that suit, yeah. uh, obviously before the election. Okay, um, a little fun here. Um, Michael Avenatti, one of our favorite <laughs> lawyers. <laughs> uh, do you think his uh, his uh, bid for the presidency has been derailed by some of the stuff that's been going on lately? Accused of domestic violence and his law firm evicted from a high-end office? I think his act is getting a little old if it wasn't <laughs> always annoying. Um, yeah, you know, to have the... I guess uh, some. I guess he makes a, a distinction, saying it's his former law firm that was evicted, and he hasn't abused these women who say he abused them. And um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I don't see him as the next president. <laughs> well, the only reason I bring it up is because he's a St. Louis. <laughs> he he right, is. Right. Yeah, for me, the jury is still out on him. Um, I think he has exposed some significant and. Imp- um, important facts about people in power, they would have reason to go after him and try to undermine his credibility, but um, maybe the information they have is valid. I'm going to take a wait-and-see mm-hmm. approach. I have been entertained by his many TV appearances. <laughs> for, for those who have forgotten, and I can't imagine many have, he's Stormy Darryl, Daniel's attorney. Did you want to add something to that? No, Mark? no. Okay, I think we've got time for one more, and this is what I've called the Maryland Cross situation. 
The uh, Supreme Court is uh, getting this case in Maryland. A so-called 40-foot-tall, 100-year-old Peace Cross War Memorial is being challenged as unconstitutional, supposedly a violation of church and state. Did anybody see that connection in this particular case? Well, I think it'll be an interesting – so the Supreme Court's, uh, I think, decided to hear, hear yes, this right. case. Yes, yes, yes. And, I'm, I mean, there's all sorts of past uh, decisions where the Supreme Court has come down one way or another on whether or not this is uh, an establishment of religion. I mean, on the side of, of preserving the cross, it's about 100 years old. I think it was to memorialize what World, World War I, I. Mm-hmm. Uh, soldiers, so it has a, a, a arguably some sort of secular – uh, purpose. I mean, I think it's this is a Supreme Court. Uh, the, the current Supreme Court is going to be much less of a separation of church and state court. Uh, so much more likely to find that this uh, that Maryland doesn't have to tear down the cross. Mm-hmm. You remember they the, even the past Supreme Court, which was a stronger uh, separationist court. Uh, said that an and a rather let's say about a fifty year old monument to the Ten Commandments that was outside this Texas uh, state house didn't have to be taken down as a violation of church and state and there's a, there was also a cross in the Mojave Desert mm-hmm. um, uh, that was memor- commemorating uh, veterans that did not have to be removed from federal land so. I think the cross has a good chance of staying. The cases up. are all over. I mean, Thomas has said the, the cases are in a disarray. Eleventh Cir- Circuit said it was a hot mess. This area of the law. So, <laughs> so I think it's right. yeah. So I think the test for what constitutes an, a violation of the Establishment Clause is in flux right now, mm-hmm. and this could be mm-hmm. an important case that either continues the hot mess or clarifies yeah. <laughs> it in in some way. There, there is the suggestion. I guess the lower court ruling was that the cross uh, was an endorsement of. Religion, simply because it's a cross. Yes, and um, but others have said that the test is whether or not something like this would be found in our history and tradition, yeah. and it's old enough that maybe it qualifies. Right, and people have also suggested that the cross is representative of what we see on cemeteries. all of the graves yeah, in the exactly. cemeteries, the national cemeteries. We've got to let it go at that. I want to thank you all so much for being with us. Lots to discuss today. Lots on the national level, obviously. But there is a lot going on. Susan Appleton, great to see you again. Great Thanks to see you too. Mark Smith, good to, to see, see you. you as always. And Bill Freibold, the same to you.